Yes, indeed. Our uh, seven-minute schmooze has turned into a 17-minute schmooze. That's probably okay. But uh, lest it become a 27-minute schmooze. What's Scotty saying, Star Trek? Live or die. Let's get this thing over with, all right? Mm. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, by whose word all things, including caffeine, came to be. <clears throat> so, Hanukkah, all right? I want to talk about Hanukkah today. Um, is everyone having a good Hanukkah? Yes, good Hanukkah. What, uh, what, what makes Hanukkah good? What is it that we enjoy about Hanukkah? This would be the interactive part of the sermon. The food? The food? We like the food. Because we fry it. We fry it. Oh, someone please bring me something deep fried and smothered in chocolate. Mm. Got it. I reach you. I reach you, James. What else? What do we like about Hanukkah? Lighting the Hanukkah. Yes, that is, that is enjoyable. A season of light. Remembering God's miracles. Ooh, yes, winning chocolate coins when playing dreidel. That's, that's always fun. All right, chocolate's always a win. Right. Unless it's white chocolate. That's not really chocolate anyways, though. An amazing story. Yes, amazing. What's that? Being close to family and friends, that's always enjoyable. Hopefully that's not just limited to Hanukkah, right? But it is always something enjoyable. No one mentioned drinking gin and tonica. I'm a little disappointed. What's the, uh, what's the next line in that silly song? All right. Uh, it, it burned for eight days. It's a miracle. No? No, we're going to... Oh, okay. Don't do that. Okay. I, totally wrong. So, O.J. Simpson, not a Jew. <laughs> so, uh, who else is not a Jew? I'm not a Jew. Why are we, why are we celebrating Hanukkah? Okay, that is a fine, fine answer, Gigi. And that answer, in and of itself, is probably worth about a two-hour sermon, which I will skip today. <laughs> Bummer. That's right. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, right? Um, I have another answer for you. In addition, right, it is, it is true that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. We're going to read about that today, right? Actually, we're going to read a lot of the same stuff that Zach talked about last week, right? So, um, you know, last week Zach said, oh, well, there's this Psalm 82. I don't have time to get into it today. I, I want to jump on. Oh, we'll get there next week, Zach. But uh, we'll... Um, so Zach kind of uh, did, did some of the groundwork last week. We're going to talk about a lot of the same stuff. Um, so uh, yes, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. He considered it important. Right? John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, considered the things that Jesus said during Hanukkah important enough to write down. Right? John said, you know, I could have filled all the books in the world with all the stuff that Jesus did. All right? John didn't have a lot of space and a lot of time to write the things that he wanted to write, but some of the things that Jesus said on Hanukkah were important enough that they made the cut, so we will study them today, right? So yes, a great reason, Gigi is right, Brian is right, a great reason uh, to celebrate Hanukkah is because we've been grafted on through faith in Israel's Messiah to the nation of Israel, right? so we should celebrate some of their days, right? Brian is also right. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Here's a third reason. We should celebrate Hanukkah because we will be blessed for it. That's, um, that's something in the scriptures that we can study and learn about today. So, here we go. All right, so, uh, it is true, what Zach said last week, it is true that Hanukkah is not listed in the Torah. All right, the Torah, if you open the Torah scroll, you're going to read a series of Maradim, Right? These Moedim do not include Hanukkah because the events that in, that on which Hanukkah was based happened roughly 1,200 years after the giving of Torah. Right? However, right, we do have, I think, 
I'm going to make the argument, some prophetic uh, references to Hanukkah. Right? That same prophetic reference includes a reference to Sukkot. Right? Zach told you last week, Sukkot and Hanukkah are kind of related. Right? They're kind of uh, in, the, in the mind of those who would, who would study Torah, these things are kind of related. And yes, they are indeed related. Right? We'll study that. So, um, of course, right, when studying the words of the prophets, right, we need to first go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. You're welcome to open there, right? So there are, there are some things that are just, that they're true, right? It's true that, uh, you know, Jews don't recognize the Messiah, Protestants don't recognize the Pope, two Baptists in a liquor store don't recognize each other. Right, so uh, if you're from if you were uh, if you're from southeastern Idaho like I am, then you say two Mormons in a liquor store don't recognize each other, right? But uh, some of you might not uh, have that much experience with the Mormon culture to appreciate the uh, the depth and the truth of of that uh, of that statement. So uh, just as certainly as two Mormons in a liquor store don't recognize each other. When uh, I, at least when I am preaching on anything that the prophets say, we're going to start with Second Peter. Let's see if I can find it. Got a lot of different bookmarks in here, and they're actually kind of getting in the way of each other. So Second Peter, there it is. Second Peter, chapter one, verses sixteen through twenty-one. <clears throat> and I quote, no, I don't quote yet, chapter 1, okay, there it is, now I'll quote, all right, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All right. So... Again, the words of the prophets, a light shining in dark place, right? Not one of these words will fall to the ground. Right? The Almighty, blessed be he, is zealous for the words that he spoke through his servants, the prophets. Right? Keep that in mind, please. Also, just as a little goat trail, right? Peter does not start this, right? Peter, Peter is relating to us in this passage, he's relating truth. He's relating eyewitness testimony. Peter, James, and John were taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration with our Master, right? And they experienced, they, they experienced God coming to earth. They experienced the, presence, the full presence of the Trinity, right? A cloud came over. They saw Moses and Elijah. This is what Peter is talking about, right? He didn't start this out by saying, once upon a time, right? This is not a fable. This is truth, right? Peter is expecting you to take his word, his testimony, as fact, right? And part of this fact, right, he is building on the fact that the words of the prophets are true, right? So we always need to remember that when we are uh, studying the words of the prophets. So we're going to keep building on that. What was it exactly that Jesus did on Hanukkah? Let's find out. John 10, the 10th chapter of John, if you please. starting in verse 22. Uh, I'd like you to focus on the... Uh, there, there's two words in here I'd like you to focus on. First of all, notice what John is calling Hanukkah. Right? He's calling it the Feast of Dedication. Right? I... I want to I focus on that word. We're not going to call it the season of lights. We're not going to call it the season of miracles. 
it has been referred to as those things, but it is most appropriately called dedication. The word Hanukkah does indeed show up in the scrolls of the prophets, right? When, um, when Nehemiah is dedicating the wall, he is uh, Hanukkahing the wall, right? It also uses that word in Esther, right? So that, this is an appropriate translation. Dedication is appropriate here. Also, uh, Jesus is going to talk about the work that he's doing. The work there used in the Greek is the word erga, right? That's where we get the word ergonomics, right? The study of work. I'm an industrial engineer. I had to mention that. It's part of it's written on my DNA. <clears throat> so, uh, right, and, and this word, right, so by the way, right, I, I found a new toy, right? This is my Hanukkah present to myself, right? But I found a really good, uh, I found a really good um, DDD, uh, lexicon of the entire Greek translations of the scriptures, right? So if you're interested in studying cool stuff, go to bluelitterbible.org and you can find their little, uh, right? Because again, what Zach talked about, he talked to, to us about the Septuagint last week, right? An authorized Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. So if you're ever wondering what these, you know, Greek literate people were thinking, you can study how they translated one word from the Torah in Hebrew into the Greek Septuagint, right? It was, it was a lot of fun, right? And um, which is why I was spending my time messing around and messing around and not getting my sermon written properly, right? Gary, do you have a question? Certainly, Blue Letter Bible. Yes, it's... It was a very good, um, again, it, it was, you can look up Strong's words in Greek, and it'll tell you where they show up in the Septuagint. Yep. I don't remember if it was .com or .org, but Blue Letter Bible. Is .com? Okay. Right. It's on my computer at home. But mm, lots of fun if you're into that sort of thing. Okay. Enough, right? The good shepherd knows his sheep. Now, oh, I'm sorry, that's not enough. Because the word erga is usually translated from the Hebrew word malacha, right? Now, it's not usually translated from the Hebrew word mitzvot, right? So Jesus, in, in the scriptures, right here, Yeshua is going to talk about the works that he's doing, right? So this is talking about the malacha that he is doing. That's just kind of the... That's the day-to-day the -day work, right? Malacca is something that is, Malacca in the Torah is something prohibited on the Sabbath, right? So keep that in your brain as we go through and read this, right? Don't know, uh, don't necessarily know what language Jesus was using to communicate here. He was in the middle of the temple. He was, I think he was likely speaking Hebrew, but it's only recorded for us in Greek. John only records it for us in Greek. So here we go. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long are you going to keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, You're blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you don't believe me, Believe the works, 
that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at the first, and he stayed there. And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. All right, those are the words of the true and living God from the Gospel of John. So, um, a few questions, right? So, first of all, again, note, this is not a story, right? Jesus is not defending his messiahship with a story that starts once upon a time, right? He is defending his messiahship with an appeal to fact, right? I have done this, 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 and this, right? Uh, These are the works that testify. And he even says, you don't want to believe in me. (sighs) You can almost hear a sigh in there. John doesn't record the sigh, right? You don't believe me. Fine. But believe the works, right? I'm doing all these works, right? I mean, some of these people are even having the audacity to say, oh, well, he's, he's doing works because Satan's giving him that power, right? It's by Beelzebub that he's doing all these works, right? Like, that happens other places in the gospel, right? No, no, Satan doesn't do good works. That's not in Satan's nature, right? God does good works, right? And here is an argument not of you should just believe with no evidence. No, the evidence is here. Here are the works. Believe the works. You don't want to believe me? Fine. Believe the works. Easy, right? Not so easy for some people. Anyways, right, what are the works of the Lord? Why, why do we say that? Why, do, why does our master, Yeshua, say that he's doing the works of the Lord? Well, let's find out what some of them are. Some of the works of the Lord are uh, healing and saving. And if you don't believe me, believe the scriptures. Let's turn to Jeremiah, please. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verses 13 and 14. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. All right, so here, right, the prophet Jeremiah, right, keep in mind this is the same prophet who foretold of the new covenant. Right? This is Jeremiah's expectation of the works of God. Jeremiah expects God to heal him, to save him, all right? Let's see if our master fulfills some of those criteria. Turn with me, please, to Matthew, Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verses 29 through 39. Jesus departed from there. He skirted around the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and he sat down. And then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. They laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Note that the people in the temple were not glorifying the God of Israel. The people in the temple were questioning and pestering and bickering with the very God of Israel who was among them. Side note, sorry. Matthew doesn't record that commentary. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days. They have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. His disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said to him, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish. He gave thanks, he broke, and he gave to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they ate and they were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. 
And he sent away the multitude and got into the boat and then went to the region of Magdala. Right? Again, right, what is the expectation? The expectation from Jeremiah, the prophet, is healing. Right? Done. Right? The work of God, accomplished. Healing. Right? Feeding them. Right? It's also an appropriate expectation of God to feed people. Right? This is another one of the works of God. Right? So, it's a reasonable expectation. And to show that it's a reasonable expectation, please turn to Psalms. 78th Psalm. Verses 21 through 25. Therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. Ooh, that's not a good way to start. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger came up against Israel because they did not believe in God. They did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He had rained down manna on them to eat and he gave them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food and he sent them food to the full. Right? It is a reasonable expectation of God to feed people. And again, in the passage from Matthew, you see Jesus doing exactly that. Right? So, if you don't like Jesus, right? You don't you don't want to believe Jesus. You don't for whatever reason. Right? Fine. Believe the works. Right? God said he could heal. Okay, Jesus healed. Right? There, now, certainly, right? There have been there have been other healers. There have been other people who provided food. There have been other people who were uh, saviors of Israel at one time or another, right? Including, of course, the Maccabees, whose, uh, whose blessed works we, uh, we celebrate during this season, right? Yes, yes, yes. Amen, amen, amen. How about something a little bit harder, right? How about, you know, you, those are the works of God, but yes, men right, have done works like that. How about something a little bit more difficult, right? How about creating the universe, right? Did Jesus create the universe? Well, Let's find out. First of all, is it appropriate to expect God to create the universe? Yes. All right, but let's open to the beginning, if you will, Genesis. You usually don't need to bookmark the first chapter of Genesis. That's easy to find. <clears throat> In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Right? No question, that is the work of God. Right? Now, I understand that we live in a society that desperately wants to convince you that in the beginning, no, it wasn't, you know, God didn't create. In the beginning, nothing exploded into everything for no reason whatsoever. Right? Now, that should, uh, the logic behind that should, should hurt your brain. Right? It, it does. Needs a little bit more caffeine. Mm, here we go. Mm. No, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, is this appropriate? Is it appropriate to ascribe the works of creation to our master, Yeshua? Yes, it is. Turn with me, please, to Colossians. First chapter of Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There we go. Colossians, we'll start in uh, the first chapter, verse 15. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All right, first of all, stop there. We need to have an apologetic moment. All right, firstborn in this case does not mean that he was created. All right, he did not come into existence. If you have JWs standing at your door talking to you about firstborn, just remind them that this is the firstborn like Jacob got to be the firstborn when he got the birthright from Esau. Right? Doesn't mean that our master was ever created. All right? Because let's continue to read and find out exactly what, uh, what's going on here. Actually, we'll start it over again. We won't continue. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on the earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the second person of the Trinity, created all things that exist. All right, so there you go, the works of God. All right, now if anyone ever questions you know, whether, whether creation actually occurred or not, you can just look around. It is, it is apparent right, that at one point in time there was nothing, and then the Almighty, blessed be He, spoke into the darkness, and there was light. God created the heavens and the earth. This is one of the works of God. If you don't believe Jesus, at least believe the works. Believe the works. Why? So that you can know that he is in the Father. Again, an appeal to fact. Jesus really wants you to think. He wants you to use your brain. He is appealing to fact. All truth is God's truth. It lines up with God. It lines up with reality. Think. Use your brains. Jesus is doing the works of God, right? Maybe it's still not enough for you, right? Okay, Jesus, yeah, sure, he healed, he did, he saved, he did all these things, blah, 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 I'm bored, I want to go to the Hanukkah party, please stop talking, right? Got it, we're still, right, there's, there's still more, right? There's still more, right? Not only did Jesus create the world, not only is he the the, uh, what, did, what did Paul say? <clears throat> the image of the invisible God. Yes, not only are those things true, but there's more. Right? Because in addition to creating the world, right, he's going to fix the world. Right? Everyone here, everyone here knows something is wrong. Right? We, can, we can go, you know, we can read a newspaper. We can, we can read about crime here in Wichita. We can read about crime somewhere else. We can read about evil things happening. Something is wrong. Something is wrong, not only with the world, but with every one of us. We know that, and he is going to fix it. Open with me, please, to Isaiah, the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, 25th chapter. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. This is amazing. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast choice of pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow. It's kind of a keto thing, apparently. It's going to be amazing. Of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Well, what is that? What is he talking about? Be patient. The prophet's going to tell you exactly what he's talking about. And he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen? Amen. The words of the prophet. Remember, we have the words of the prophets made more certain. Right? If you're, if you're not satisfied that, that Jesus is going to, you know, so Jesus fed the multitudes. Yeah, whatever. Don't care about that. I think that's pretty cool, but you're not satisfied yet. Jesus healed people. I don't care about that either. Jesus created the universe. He spoke into nothingness and created everything that exists. Still not satisfied, right? Not only that, but he is going to fix this universe. He is going to end death. It is going to be gone. Right? Have you ever heard these people that spit this pablum about, oh, well, well death, is, death is just a part of life. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Death is not a part of life. Death is the opposite of life. And it is not the way things are supposed to be. Death is wrong. All right? a, a 
a few years ago, my, my grandmother died, my paternal grandmother. Wonderful woman, right? Granny, right? I still miss Granny. Granny, before she died, she expressed to us that, that uh, she, had, she had seen Jesus waiting for her by the door. You know, and she was, she was old, she was in pain. So we told her, the next time you see him, we want you to go with him, right? Now, if death is natural, if death is a natural part of life, I shouldn't care about that, right? That should be, to me, like the breakfast I ate yesterday. If death is a natural part of life, I should be happy that Granny is gone, right? Because she's no longer taking up resources that can be used for me, right? And if you're happy that your dearly beloved loved ones who have now gone to be with the Lord, if you're happy that they're gone because they're not taking up the resources that you can use, you need to seek professional help. All right? That is just... Death is not natural. It is not God's plan for us. It is not the way that things should be. All, right? All of those things are true. In addition to that, death is in and of itself going to die. Death is going to be defeated. And it is going to be defeated by none other than our Lord and Savior, because one of the things he's saving us from is death. Our Lord and Savior, Yeshua. Ben Yosef, Minatseret. Jesus, thought to be the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And I will prove it, open please, with me to 1 Corinthians. You already know where we're going. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. But now Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Messiah, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Messiahs at his coming. Amen? Mm. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Here it comes. You ready for it? And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Right? Those are the works of God. Right? If you don't believe just Jesus himself, he is inviting you. He's inviting you. Right? Study this. Understand this. Is death natural? Is it a part of life? No. No, it isn't natural. It's not a part of life. Stop telling me that. Brain-dead, mind-numbed idiocy. Right? He is going to fix it. He will fix it. And you can come along. That's good news. So what else did Jesus say to these people, right? We have to study this. It's, you know, yet another apologetic moment. All right. So the, Jesus is walking in Solomon's temple, or Solomon's, Solomon's porch, Right. Keep in mind that Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Romans. Right? This area was uh, uh, the, the outline around the, the, the temple proper um, that, uh, that had been built by uh, Herod the Great. So Jesus is walking in this area, and people are grabbing him on Hanukkah. All right, Hanukkah, All right, time to be free, time to celebrate our freedom. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. So he does tell them. He explains what we would call high Christology to them. Right? He declares to them his, his oneness in the Godhead. Right? And that makes them angry. Right? They pick up stones to throw at him. And then he says this thing. Right? And this is the favorite verse of heretics everywhere. Heretics love this verse. 
right? Because Jesus is going to say to these people, wait a second, the Scripture says you're gods, right? You're gods, and the Scripture can't be broken, so why are you pestering me that I say I'm the Son of God, right? So we can ignore everything else in this book, but oh, yeah, Jesus said we're gods. Ooh, see that? Jesus said we're gods. All right, so we got to study it. All right, open up to Psalm 82. Zach said that he didn't have time to deal with this last week. We've got lots of time to deal with it this week. This will be fun. Actually, I'm not going to take the time to deal with it because that's that's a good probably two, three-hour sermon just in and of itself. And I think we've got Hanukkah parties planned. So we're going to go through this fairly quickly. Psalm 82 is a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges amongst the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said... You are gods, and you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Psalm 82. So this this is what our master is quoting when he says, You are gods. I said you are gods. Now, so again, you know, every heretic's favorite verse. Oh, I said you were gods. So we need to study just a little bit. Um, just, as a little, just as a little side note. All right, so uh, I, like to, uh, I like to coach football. All right, as many of you know who know my family, you know that I have, uh, I have a wonderful wife, praises God's alone. I have three little girls, praises also God's alone. Right, I, I have um, lots and lots of females running around. Right? So when I try to keep myself sane, I go and borrow other people's young men and coach football. Right? This is America. Coach football. So with football, right, there's, uh, football is in some ways a very complex game, but in some ways it's a very simple game. And it's a very simple game in the way that if you're running something that the other guy isn't stopping. If you're on offense and you're running power, right? the off-tackle play, right? power, power. And the other, the other team is not stopping that. Keep running it, right? This not going too fast for anybody, right? If, if it's working, do it. Do more of it, right? If you're running sweep, Right, which the vast majority of youth coaches don't know how to run sweep and they don't know how to stop sweep. So run sweep and keep doing it. Right? If you're doing something and it works, keep doing it. Right? I, uh, a while ago I had a, a chance to meet a coach. Uh, he's in, in, uh, in my circle He's a fairly well-known coach. He's been a very successful high school coach running the single wing. His name is uh, Rick Darlington. And uh, he says that he only teaches his freshman team, right? He only teaches them five plays, only five. That's not many, right? I mean, that's, that's very, very few plays to have a playbook. And, you know, so he's, like I say, he's a pretty good coach, right? few years ago, he had a bad year, right? He only lost in the state championship, right? That was sandwiched between two state championship wins. So uh, that's what made it a bad year. And his freshman team that only knows these five plays, right? They haven't lost a game in seven years. So maybe he knows what he's doing, right? What's the point of this, right? The point of this is if something works, you don't need to develop anything else. Something works. Keep doing what you're doing. Right? Now, what was the first lie in recorded history? 
Surely God did not say. Surely, surely God did not say. What was the next lie? The second lie in recorded history, what was it? You will be like gods. And this lie has worked so well that Satan doesn't need to go away from this lie. These two lies. Every heresy. Every heresy is based on one or both of these lies. Right? Every heresy right, wants to attack the word of God. Surely God did not say. Surely. Oh, surely he didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Right? Or, you know, you will be like gods. Did I just lose my microphone? Don't need it? Do I need it? Oh, I got it back. Woo! All right. So, right? Every, every heresy, again, surely God did not say, or you will be like gods. Or both, right? They're great, and they work, right? So it's just like if you're coaching football, and you're running power, and power's working, and you're running sweep, and sweep's working, just stick with those. You're going to win the game. Easy. Right? Now, why does Satan tell these lies? Satan likes those lies. Satan doesn't like what God said, and Satan wants to be God himself. Right? And every rebel, every rebel, does not want to hear the words, thus saith the Lord. Right? Every rebel wants to hear, surely God did not say. Every rebel wants to be his own God. And that's why it works, that's why it worked in the garden. That's why it works now. And apparently that's why Rick Darlington is the devil. I don't know. I, next time I go to a football clinic, I'll have to let him know that he is uh, the devil. Right? So, so we, we want to hear, right? We want to hear you are gods, right? So God, in, in this psalm, He's doing exactly that, right? He's giving us a list of things to do. He tells us, how long will you judge unjustly? Well, the, the idea is that you should judge with justice, right? Oh, and by the way, Jesus said the same thing. He said, stop judging by appearance and make a right judgment, right? He wants a just judgment, right? How long will you, you men, not do that, right? How long are you going to show partiality to the wicked, right? Here's something that God says. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Right? What does the Torah tell us to do? The Torah tells us to love the stranger. Right? The Torah tells us to care for the widow and the orphan. And if we don't do those things, the Almighty, blessed be He, tells us, I will exile you so you can be strangers somewhere else. I will kill you so your wife can be a widow and your children can be orphans. Right? We don't like to hear that, though. Right? We rebel, we rebel, we rebel, just like the original rebel in the garden who told us those lies. And what are the things that we desperately want to hear? Oh, you are gods. Right? So here it is, Psalm 82. He said we're gods. There you go. You happy now? You get to be gods. Why did this happen? Right? Why did God finally have to say to people, you are gods? Well, let's open to Romans 1. Figure out why. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 24. So for me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in, righteous, for it, excuse me, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's the part we don't like. Right? I said to you, you're God's. Get ready, it's going to hurt. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All right? Note to self, without excuse. Not one person has an excuse. And on that great and terrible day, when our master is standing in white robes, no longer as savior, but as judge, no one will have an excuse. Men are without excuse. Let's continue. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness. I wanted to be God. I wanted to be God. I wanted to be God. It sounded so good. Surely God did not say, oh, it sounds wonderful. You will be like God. Ooh, that sounds really great. God finally says, sure, you're God's. Read the fine print. Psalm 82 says, yeah, you're gods, but you're going to die like men. You're going to fall like princes. All right. You like the idea of being God? Let me talk to you about these false gods. One more thing. Open to Jeremiah 10. I really like this passage. All sorts of interesting things about this passage. Super excited to be gods. Let me talk to you about God. Jeremiah 10, verses 10 and 11. But the Lord is the true God. This is Jehovah. That's the most holy name being used there, right? Jehovah is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. So, this is what you will say to them. The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. You wanted to be God so much? There you go. You will perish from the earth and from under these heavens if that's really what you want. I told them they were gods. Introduction complete. Now let's get to the main body of the sermon. <clears throat> they think I'm joking. I'm not joking. <clears throat> All right, so why is, how is God going to bless us? I said, well, you know, why do we keep Hanukkah, right? O.J. Simpson, not a Jew. Why are we, you know, talking about Hanukkah if we're not Jews? We had good answers, right? Good job. Gigi, Brian, well done. All right, let me, uh, let me try to answer this question. So, to answer this question, uh, let us turn to the book of Haggai. Haggai the prophet. And they call him a minor prophet. Minor. There's no such thing as a minor prophet. There are prophets who didn't talk quite as much as Jeremiah. And we're going to read the whole book of Haggai right now, so you should be happy that he didn't talk as much as Jeremiah. But... The book of Haggai is fairly short. <clears throat> now, the book of Haggai, we can date, right? We can date Haggai to, to the exact date. We know exactly when this happened. There's very good his, extra, extra biblical historical evidence to know when Darius was king, right? You know, Darius, I think it was Darius that usurped, possibly usurped um, Cambyses. Right, who was probably the, the legitimate king, and Darius claimed to be this Achaemenid. That's where we get the term, the Achaemenid dynasty. Right? Anyways, we know exactly when this happened. This is consistent with history. So let's go. <clears throat> in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of Adonai came to Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that Adonai's house should be built. 
And then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. You earn wages, but you put them in a bag with holes in them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and on the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of Adonai their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So Adonai stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Jehoshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of, of the people. And they came and worked on the house of Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of Adonai came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? And yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. That's interesting, isn't it? I thought that the Holy Spirit was only a New Testament thing. I thought that the Holy Spirit wasn't with people until Pentecost. Huh. I guess the word of the Lord corrects that misunderstanding, doesn't it? Yeah, with, with apologies to C.S. Lewis, right? good theology must exist, if nothing else, than to answer bad theology. And I'm sure that when uh, Clive Staples Lewis got to heaven, first thing he did is kick his parents' butts for giving him the name Clive Staples, right? That's, you, you can see why he abbreviated his name every time he wrote. Anyways, I digress as is my habit. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is with them. Do not fear. Totally lost my place. Okay. My Spirit remains among you, so do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Gigi's going to start singing. It's actually an area for baritone, right? But, yeah. <clears throat> Don't do it, Gigi. Resist. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And on the 24th day of the ninth month, on the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, Came, excuse me, came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? The priest answered, 
it will be unclean. And then Haggai answered them and said, So is this people and this nation before me, says the Lord, and every work of their hands. What they offer there is unclean. Now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, but there were only 10, when one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, but there were only 20, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail on all the labors of your hands, and yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider this. Is there seed in the barn? And yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not given fruit. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Again, the word of Adonai came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots. And those who ride in them, the horses and their riders, shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the true and living God through his servant, Haggai the prophet. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? Right? I could have read the whole book of Jeremiah. That would have been a hike. A hike. Now, some of the things I want you to notice, right? Notice that the second oracle to Haggai, when did it come? Came on the 21st day of the seventh month. Well, what's the 21st day of the seventh month? End of Sukkot. That's right. The first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. Tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur. Fifteenth day of the seventh month is the first day of Sukkot, and twenty-first day is the last day of Sukkot. Right? So the Almighty, blessed be He, right, is sending these oracles to His servant Haggai. Right on, right. This the second one came on the end of Sukkot. Right. Also, just as a note, Haggai. Right in. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Servant of the Lord. Where does that say that? All right. You'll notice in verse 13 of the first chapter, it says, Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke this message to the people. All right. Haggai may have written the book of Malachi. All right. They are roughly contemporary, and they are uh, pretty much the same message, a commandment to build the temple. Malachi, it says, Malachi means my messenger, right? So Haggai, the prophet, might have written this book of Malachi, just as a note, right? Because we're going to study Malachi in just a moment to understand some of the things that the Lord said, right? One of the things the Lord says through his prophet Haggai is that the second temple is going to be greater than the first temple, right? Well, how was the second temple greater than the first temple? What do you think? Because Jesus was there, right? Second temple, greater than the first temple. This, in, this word of the prophets did indeed come true, right? Second temple was destroyed in 70 AD, right? So, to understand that, turn with me to Malachi, please. Every time I say Malachi, I think of children of the corn. He wants you too, Malachi. Hmm. Creepy. <clears throat> Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Don't sing, Gigi. I know you want to. I do too. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who will stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. that They may make an offering to the Lord in righteousness. So certainly, 
the first part of this passage, the first part of this prophecy from Malachi, the messenger of the Lord, whoever he was, I think he might have been Haggai the prophet, right? certainly that came true. Right? Jesus came to the temple on numerous occasions right? and cleared out some of the nonsense that was going on there. Right? I do not think the second part of this has happened. I think the second part of this is yet to happen, that he will purify the sons of Levi, that they will make an offering to him in righteousness. That will most likely happen at the advent of the third temple. Right? However, according to the word of the prophet Haggai, the glory of the second temple was greater than the glory of the first temple. Right? Solomon built the first temple, but one greater than Solomon showed up to the second temple. Right? Okay. Now, let me wrap this up. Right? Notice, right? Notice the promise of the prophet Haggai. Notice this promise. This is in uh, Haggai chapter 2, verse 19. Right? Again, this is on the 24th day. 24th day of the ninth month, right? Hanukkah starts on the 25th day of the ninth month, right? So after, after this happens, this is the promise. After right, the foundations of the temple are laid, then what does God say is going to happen? He asks this question, is there seed still in the barn? Yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, they have not yielded fruit, right? Thus far, nothing's going right. But... From this day forth, I will bless you. That's the promise. So, when you lay the foundations of the temple, right? The whole commandment, the whole word of, the prophetic word from Haggai was to build the temple. Start the work. Lay the foundations, right? And from that day forth, you will be blessed. How are you going to be blessed? Let's answer that question. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, there it is. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, right, which belong to God. Amen? Right. So, build that foundation. Lay that foundation. And from this day forth, you will be blessed. Right? Just as a historical note, right? General Allenby liberated Jerusalem on the first day of Hanukkah. Right? He chased the Turks out in the First World War. Right? It was also General Allenby who refused to enter Jerusalem riding on a horse, saying that there was only one worthy to enter Jerusalem like that. Right? He was, and he was, of course, correct. <clears throat> right? And, of course, we have, we have many deliverances that we can celebrate on Hanukkah, many dedications that we can celebrate on Hanukkah. But the greatest dedication that we can celebrate on Hanukkah is that we get to take part in this. We get to be members of what? Of this very temple. Right? Do you not know Right? I mean, this is asked as a question, right? And it's asked as a question of, don't you know this? You, you should. The implication is you should know this. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So lay that foundation of that temple, and from this day forth, he will bless us. Turn to Second Peter, please. Excuse me, 1 Peter. 1 Peter. They're small books. They're really close to each other. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, 
as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Right? And now he's going to talk about building that temple. You ready for it? Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed my men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right? The only place an acceptable sacrifice is offered is in the temple. Right? And this is how he plans to bless us. From this day, from that 24th day of the ninth month and on, when you lay the foundation of a temple and when you dedicate that temple, this is how he's going to bless us. We get to go along with him. He's fixing everything, fixing the world. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 through 22. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, at that time you were without Messiah, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That sounds bad, but there's good news. <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one, he's broken down the middle wall of separation, abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. So through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the Messiah, Yeshua himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Right? Only acceptable sacrifice is given in the temple. You, every one of you who would accept Jesus of Nazareth as your Messiah, is being built into that temple. When you lay the foundations of that, the scriptures, the prophets, the words of the prophets are clear. From that day forward, he will bless you. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs>